0: Has everybody got their nerves out? Let's do this. Everybody feeling good? Let's do this. Welcome to Get to the Good Part. I'm Ryan. This is Chris. And John is not with us today. Now, some of you out there may be uh, listening to this and wondering where the hell's John for one of the most pivotal chapters in the book. Could not be here. Definitely wanted to. But it's not just Chris and I today. Uh, Today, we're bringing on a guest. A lot of you uh, who follow us from the Ready Player One subreddit uh, will know him as Iron Beeble. But today, we call him Matt. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Matt, why don't you give us a little bit of a, a background of your uh, your relationship with Ready Player One? Oh, man. Oh, it's a long and complicated relationship
1: that uh, <laughs> began. Oh, man, what was it? Probably, it, I, you know, it, it sucks because I, I knew about the book for about a year before I actually read it. And I kick myself all the time thinking about how many times I could have read it between the first time it came out to when I actually finally started to read it. And, uh, ever since then, it's just been constantly telling people, you got to read this book. You got to read this book. I told my brother, I told my other brother, I told, I mean, I tell everyone and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a great fucking book, man. And it's just, uh, I can't, I can't not plug it to people when, when people ask for recommendations, it's just, you know, because, you know, I've, I'm of an age that people, you know, who grew up in the 80s, or, you know, my age. And so, like, they they would just love it. And so, that's what I do. Uh I uh, tell people to read the book. and Not only that, but I buy it.
0: ridiculous crap because of the book. Like, give us, give us an example. What's some of the ridiculous crap you've bought because of the book? <laughs> well, let's see. I bought a t-shirt,
1: which I, I wish I was wearing now, but I can't find it, which sucks. But uh, I also have uh, a print from uh, later in the book from where we are right now i got figures of ultraman and Godzilla that are at my office oh uh, well that that's well, that, shit. that's that's definitely the start of it but not only that but like I've, I've watched movies that were referenced in the book and tried to play zork and a few other things uh just stuff from the 80s That's just uh it really is just this love letter to the eighties that just really made me nostalgic for it. And I've been trying to like capture some of the stuff that I never really got a chance to get into because, uh, I was born in 1980, you know, a little bit later than, uh, you know, I'm, I'm younger than Ernest Klein, So I'm a little behind on where he got into the, uh, all that stuff. So, uh, which, which isn't a bad thing, but, uh, you know, all I had when I was a kid was a Nintendo and eventually a Sega Genesis. And that's it for my gaming stuff. So uh, I feel sometimes like listening to the book that I missed a lot of cool shit.
2: You know, in comparison, not so much. Like it was really cool when it first came out. In comparison to the stuff you started on, not so much. What do you mean? Just it got, well, like for example, when I first started playing, what was playing Pong. So Pong was just this, you know, you're just hitting a ball between two paddles that are going up and down on the screen, right? Who wouldn't love that? That's it. Man, that is that is your game. That's all there is to it. It it got better. Like, it was the coolest stuff that was out at the time. But, yeah, when you, when you came into Nintendo stuff, that was, you know, just light years ahead of where this book starts, game-wise.
1: And the Nintendo stuff holds up. I mean, Nintendo released that NES Classic Edition, which I wish I could have gotten my hands on, but because...
2: That, that, that stuff's still cool to play. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the coin-op stuff is super cool to play.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I spent I spent about three and a half hours on, I think it was, yeah, it was on uh, Friday. Uh, there's there's an arcade bar here in Knoxville called Sutry's, and they have a joust machine. Oh, and man. And I spent about three and a half hours on joust, and I did not get bored once.
2: Oh, dude, you should have told me I would have come down and played I was just I was just bouncing quarters.
1: I tried that on an emulator on my computer, and I'm like, this this isn't really a great way to play this game. I'm not even going to try. No,
0: you got to... No. I've, I've I've played it on an emulator as well, and it's just not the same.
1: I miss some, but much. it's
0: a fun game to play on a stand up. I mean, in in that atmosphere and that just kind of you know that. Okay, but but do you play on the left Perfect. or the right side? I play it on the left, of course. <laughs> but here's the thing, and I want to get into this when we get to that part in the book, but. Of course you play on the fucking left. That's the player one side. <laughs> <laughs> player one always plays on the left. Think about it. Every console you've ever hooked up, where do you plug in player one? On the left. When you walk up to a machine, if, you, if it's open, which side do you play on? The left. Do you ever play on the right versus the left? Can you? If you're playing a one-player game? Well, no, if you're playing a one-player game, it's in the center.
1: No, but if there's if there's a if there's a game that has a two player game or that can be two players, but you can play just one, you're always playing on the left.
2: I'm pretty sure you've got Yeah. You're always playing player one. That's yeah. what I'm saying. You're always
1: playing left. So you're always player one. But if Parzival and H are playing it in H's basement, H as the host is gonna be player one. So Parzival is probably really playing on the right.
2: Yeah, I could see that I guess.
1: Yeah,
0: I could see that.
2: Unless they just got their fucking favorite birds. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. So <laughs> Back to chapter that's a discussion seven. for another chapter. Today, we are on chapter seven. And in chapter seven, we have the what I'll call the revelation. This is the point in the book. The first time you read the book, this is the part where you get kind of excited, right? This is where shit really kind of kicks up. We think. Oh, yes.
2: <laughs> uh, you had me hinged like shit kicks up. I'm like, yes, this is the Let's shit kicker shit moment. You sure are right. <laughs> Actually, the whole chapter is kind of that is that discovery moment. Like, uh, like when I came back into the chapter, I, I don't even remember this chapter as being a chapter. It was kind of like the chapter was a moment that he was describing at length. Like, ha, this is how I came upon it. And I thought that was like a two-minute thing and then boom on to the rest of it on to chapter 8 hmm. uh, so yeah i i i kind of felt like this chapter just flew right through until i reread it again well
0: i think that's because you i mean if if you're listening to the book which admittedly chris you've you've done more of that than actually reading the text of the book right uh,
2: probably yeah so
0: so when you're reading the book it's it's almost impossible to get to the end of this chapter and not keep going <laughs> So this this, yeah. this may seem like a blip to the people who listen to just the audiobook version.
2: It it totally was a blip, yeah.
0: But there's a lot to unpack here. Because this is the moment where Wade kind of has the revelation that the clue that, that's going to lead him to the Copper Key has been sitting right under his nose the entire time. And it comes to him when he's sitting in Miss Rank's Latin class. Good old uh, Miss where Rank. We left him last time. And, you know... I think we can all relate to this when you're in high school and you're just waiting for the day to end every day. You're kind of, <laughs> your mind is going in a lot of different places. The direction his mind is going in this chapter is towards school, schoolhouse rock. When they're talking about verb conjugation, uh, to run, to go, to get, to give verb. What's happening. happening. We have fielded uh, quite a few questions about Ernest Klein's abilities as a writer. Recently, Uh, some of you have seen, you know, some of the stuff on Facebook that we've posted and things like that. A lot of people, I I think when they have criticism of the book, they go after, uh, you know, Ernest Klein as a writer, as an indictment of his skill as a writer. I think that Ernest Klein's strength is in storytelling and how to craft how to craft a full, complete story. I mean, this is this is a really good example of it. But I really like how he had. I mean, it's it, it makes a story so robust when you can tie in so many different things. And one of the pieces of criticism that you hear along with Klein's writing too is that he's too derivative, with his you know references the of the eighties and. But that's like the whole point of the
1: book, though. It's it's entirely derivative right. of eighties pop culture, and the thing is, what what to me reading the book is that you you know that this is something that that. He, the author is so passionate about that. He just makes everything just work. And the story is, is every step of the way keeps you wanting to know what happens next. And the thing is, it's weird to think of because I'm sure when he's writing it, he's like, okay, yeah, there are a lot of eighties pop culture geeks out there, but no one's going to be like this into it as I am. But this, this, this book became a a fucking monster and people just loved it. And you know, and now it's becoming a movie. Clearly, it speaks to a lot of people, and you know what you can criticize his writing for you know for whatever reason, but the fact is that he told a story that people just were drawn to and uh you know props to him i mean he i mean he did something that not many people can do
2: yeah yeah if if you could you could say this whole thing is a a giant shout out, but when he does this referencing, he doesn't just reference he goes into detail when it's important because there's a lot of parts that i'm really not hip to a lot of the the japanime stuff a lot of the robot stuff it's just that's not my thing so it really helped that he doesn't just go into the stuff that i'm familiar with but he kind of hooks back around and references and describes the stuff that i'm not mm-hmm. familiar with and it gets me reinterested. like i want to know more about that so that i can go to that and help to kind of fill in the background of the book. It's as if he's creating the background through these references that you can then leave the book and go look up.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, honestly, most of the stuff that's referenced in the book, I don't know. I mean, not trying to get too far ahead in the book, but, like, I mean, every step of the way there's stuff. I have Japanese, anime, all that stuff. I don't know anything about that. I don't know. You know, I never had an Atari, or we did, but I was – my older brother had it. I was too young to really use it. And by the time that I was old enough to care about video games, I, you know, we had a Nintendo. So like, you know, a lot of the stuff that really is just the foundation of this book is just really over my head. But I still love the book. I still, I, I still love the passion for that. You know, that, that kind of. If I was the same age as Ernest Klein, and we lived in the same town, we probably would have been pretty good friends. And I probably would have been a real loser (laughs) if I hung out with him, (laughs) just playing video games all the time, watching movies. But, you know, we're like the same people. I just didn't get exposed to the same things. And thus, I kind of missed it. But it does speak to me. The idea of the Oasis and the opportunities that if it really existed, what it presents
0: is just, I mean, he just nailed it. Ernest Cline has created a historical fiction piece out of very recent history. When I say very recent history, I'm not, you know, this isn't Illuminati. This isn't, you know, the fucking Knights Templar. This is 1980s John Hughes movies. This is fucking Atari. And he created a a piece of historical fiction about pop culture. Now, say what you want about Ernest Cline as a writer. too derivative or pulling too many things out of recent history or like, you know, really appealing to the nerd culture. But for a lot of people, that is their history. You know, I mean, a lot of people who are who are of our age, this is our history. And I don't really see it on the same level as Da Vinci Code. You know what I mean? Because he's not changing. He's not he's not changing the definition of the history here. He's holding it up on a pedestal to a certain degree. But he's using it in a very effective way to drive his story forward. You don't see that very often.
2: Well, it's kind of Inception-y because he's doing what Halliday did in the book. Right. He is getting people who enjoyed the book fascinated with a period of time based on the book having a guy that died and the characters in it being fascinated with that period of time. Very meta.
0: Very, very meta. (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) Very much so. But I wouldn't. I I wouldn't
0: compare Ready Player One to the Da Vinci Code or to Hunger Games. It's something completely different.
2: Well, and to call it derivative is kind of goofy. That's like watching a, a movie that takes place in medieval times and going, "That castle's so derivative." The color <laughs> of the sky that's blue is so derivative of the color blue used in so many other places. How do you mean? So like and it's kind of. Mean, you mean you uh, mean Ready Player One, or you mean? Uh, well, I'm saying that Ready Player One to say that it is quote unquote derivative, is kind of weird or uh, stupid. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't dig into that criticism because you could say that about anything that borrows from a period piece. Well, I mean, the whole fantasy genre has got to be considered derivative
1: by somebody because there's so much overlap of concepts and ideas. I mean, just get over oh, it. Yeah.
2: So uh, it, uh, I, there isn't anything new here, but you could make that argument about any book, the entire expanse of it being in the future, yet referencing the past. Uh, Creates a background for a story, but you have to articulate the background as you move through it. You know, if you're watching The Wizard of Oz, you don't bitch because the background changes from the yellow brick road scene to her in the in the cornfields, and go that corn's so derivative of farmers. <laughs> what? It's just. It's just. A, that's. A, that's a. I'm gonna be polite to say that's an odd critique. In the background of 1873.
0: On Lutus, as he's sitting there in Miss Rank's class, going over v- verb conjugations, we start talking about to learn, and it's making him think of to learn over and over again. Calling back to the limerick. You have much to learn if you hope to earn a place among the high scores. Miss Rank continued using the verb in a sentence. We go to school to learn, she said. This is Miss Rank forcing this basic, just force feeding this information to Wade. I feel like at this part, okay, so we just had a long conversation about how, how great Ernest Cline is at, you know, just, just very seamlessly putting this, this recent historical fiction into the work and making it work within the Oasis and, and and using it as, you know, part of Halliday's construct for the contest. This is a place where I'm going to depart from that statement and say that literally it's taking his Latin teacher to sit there in front of him and say something she's probably said a thousand times before and beat it into his face and say, to learn, to learn, motherfucker, <laughs> to learn. Now, I will say this. Do you guys remember the first time you read through Ready Player One? Vaguely. At all? I mean. No. How many times it's have you read it? such a blur. It, I just wanted. Oh to
1: know. God! Since that first reading, which was actually on a Kindle edition, I've listened to the audiobook at least two to three times a year since. Sometimes maybe more. So it's been it's been a number of readings. All right.
2: I have no idea what your question is going to be.
1: Did you pick up on it? <laughs> the answer is no, and the reason why is because when I was reading it. I was more concerned about enjoying the story than trying to pick up clues. But the second reading, I was like, duh, like, yeah. And, and that, that's like where, where I, where my position now is like, was it really that hard for people after five years to be like, to learn? Doesn't that mean something? Uh, I mean, was it <laughs> that hard to discern? Come on. I mean, <sighs> Five, five years, I would have figured it out.
0: You know? It's an entire planet in the Oasis dedicated to learning.
2: It would You're be like the, the first place you'd look. The, the, it would the, be the first fucking place you'd look. It would have to be. Maybe. I, I, you know, it's, uh, that's what I like about this, per, this particular book. And One of the angles here is that it's a bit like a riddle. If the riddle is too easy, it's not challenging. You see it coming. And any story that is too obvious isn't any fun.
0: In a riddle, you go over the obvious shit. You don't gloss over it, but you at least inspect it first. The obvious shit would be to learn. Okay, so where do people learn? Ludus, because that's where the schools are. Okay, well, I should check Ludus. Or any school for that matter.
1: I mean, we, we already know at this point that they're looking for the Tomb of Horrors. And... Do you really mean to tell me that someone didn't figure out let's do a surface feature scan of every single school, planet or property, private, public, whatever, and see what comes up?
2: Well, I mean, it, it's but they came to that, though. They eventually ended in that place. That's that's the last thing they checked. But think about it. Everything up to this point is about learning. It's about learning the games, about learning the movies. It's about learning uh, the book that Halliday drops for everyone. The entire set of chapters kind of glosses over the school, but really focuses on learning everywhere else, but at school.
0: So you're saying that there's enough to pull your attention away. There's enough red herrings out there to draw you away from Ludus.
2: I mean, it, it. and that's what I'm saying is as a good storyteller, it wasn't obvious to me that when we worked into this, I was like, oh, fuck, I should have known okay, that. May,
1: maybe Wade and other like individual Gunters would gloss over it. But when you have the resources of IOI, you're not fucking around. You got to find this thing. You're going to pick apart every single thing and try and figure that out.
0: Not one fucking person in the oology department <laughs> said to learn. Seriously,
1: Check the, the, the moment Parsifal <laughs> ended up on that list, they all should have been fired. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Can them all. We're going to start from scratch. Totally. I mean, I get that.
0: Totally. Like, you have a whole fucking division of your company that's extremely well-funded, dedicated to finding this thing. Nobody said, to learn, I should go to the school plan. (laughs) Not one
2: fucking person. That's When I got to this place, it hit me as a no-duh, but I felt like, I didn't feel like all the past chapters had been Red Herring's. I think he wanted you to be in Wade's position where you understood everything he's gone through to learn about Halliday, only to come to this place where it is dead obvious that this shit is hidden in this spot and why that makes sense. Okay. Like he doesn't just say, Oh, it's in it's out on the school planet. He's like and this is the reason why.
0: I was on an airplane the first time that I read this book. I just I, I happened to walk past the little, you know, Hudson newsstand, saw Ready Player One and I was like, Oh, I'd heard about this Grabbed it, read it. I got to this part when I was still on the plane, where they unearthed the uh, the Easter egg, or you know, the thing in the text that said, you know, you have much to learn if you hope to earn a place among the high scores. My first response was, "Oh, it's on Ludus." Well, good for you. <laughs> it's on Ludus. Because where else could it fucking be? It literally hit you like an an
2: anvil
1: falling out of the sky directly onto your skull.
0: (laughs) I'm just saying five years five years have passed and almost five whole years since the limerick was found. Not one person did a topographical study of Ludus and found a fucking skull in the middle of it. What's a skull doing on a fucking school planet? (laughs) <laughs> yeah one of these things is not like the others we gotta talk one about of these things s- is kind
1: of a skull we gotta talk about that skull by the way <laughs> i looked at the freaking module that the drawing that they show in there of the skull looks nothing like a fucking skull it is a smiley face <laughs> it's a smiley face
2: yeah i uh it's hard to defend that it's a smiley face it's It looks like a fucking squash pumpkin, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just remember the first time I went looking for this thing. I'm like, that can't be right. That's just not.
2: How do you miss that from fucking orbit? Why would you need a prop- a software to search for that?
1: I'm just thinking i o i with all the resources it's like really i mean yeah, i mean I mean seriously you, you wouldn't even necessarily need like a surface feature scan. You could have probably just done your little Google Earth thing of Lutus and just found the damn thing.
2: I looked this up and somebody actually did use Google's face recognition to find to find features that look like faces on Earth. And that was rather fascinating because my thought was, well, okay, if he just went to find a piece of software to do that, probably something out there that could do that today. Some sort of some sort of character or, or pattern recognition system.
1: You know what I thought so was kind let of... Me big, ask, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know what I, find, I found interesting was that when it was clear that the Tomb of Horrors was playing a role uh, with the the Copper Key, you know, they mentioned this planet Gygax, and they're like, was there really no Tomb of Horrors on Gygax or anywhere else in the Oasis that, like, would have been, like, a great, like, false flag for the hunt where people tried... like, Like, don't you think that would have been, like, a cool way to, like, throw people off course that there was other Tombs of Horrors elsewhere in the Oasis that people just... Absolutely tried and didn't get anything accomplished by, by
0: going
2: there. There had
0: to be one, at least. There Had one. to be one other incarnation of it
2: somewhere in the Oasis. I mean, even if, even if it was like created by someone else, for you the role thought. that
0: D D plays in the in the universe of the Oasis, you would have to think that every module would exist at least somewhere.
2: Let alone what is considered to be the best.
0: Right. Is that considered the best? You would be more qualified than I did.
2: Quote: "Tomb of Horus" is considered one of the greatest Dungeons and Dragons modules of all time, as well as one of the most difficult. So I guess I don't know. I've not played this module.
0: Oh, okay. Well, you're gonna. So not right? so great that you would go back and play it.
2: But... You know what? Maybe we fucking should. Maybe it's we should like, do like It's uh... like
0: reading. It's like fucking Milton. Everybody's like, "Paradise Lost" is one of the greatest things you could ever read, but I'll never and fucking I've not read it. Read <laughs> it no. <laughs>
2: Well, you know what, dude? Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should see how hard it would be to play Parcival coming in as like a level one because this is for level nine characters. But let's say we've got the map and we come in as level one and we could get a a dungeon master. I know a couple to guide us through. And let's see if it's even freaking possible.
0: Here's what we ought to do. Okay. So this is this will be be cool. This will be my first time uh, announcing this on the podcast. Uh, we have actually uh, started a team for the extra life foundation where the extra life foundation is, is uh, basically it's, it's a foundation that's dedicated to raising money for children's hospitals all over the United States of America. Uh, we've created a team on extra life uh, details about that and everything are still being fleshed out, but we're going to put them up on Facebook as soon as we have them. Uh, anyways, uh, around November, there's a 24 hour gaming marathon that Extra Life puts on. It's sort of like a telethon slash fundraiser kind of thing. A lot of people broadcast stuff on Twitch. Uh, we've been talking about it in the background. I'll probably uh, be hosting a few Destiny raids that day.
2: <laughs> well, hold on. If if we're gonna do a, a 24 hour, we gotta play the games that are mentioned in the book. Hold on a second. <laughs> hold on. Just All right. just. She's like, I'm just going to go to Destiny.
0: Seems like you're just being a devil's advocate again. It's pissed me off.
2: I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being a dick. Pissed. Go on.
0: But, but no, I, I think we could split this in a few different ways. I think I'm, you know, that's just one of the things we've got 24 hours to cover. I think one of the things we had talked about doing was maybe trying to set up a a Twitch campaign, a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. I think it'd be cool to play through Tomb of Horrors. That would be awesome, man. That would be cool. Maybe that's something we'll do. I don't know. You know, based on reaction, everything like that. We'll see. But at we're the still flushing it out, like I said. At the end, you got to play Joust. Oh, yeah.
2: Fuck yes. Well, Chris, you uh, were
0: working on this a little bit, right?
2: I don't. I haven't played Joust.
0: No. I mean, you were working on setting up an emulator for the Extra Life.
2: Marathon. Yeah. Well, you know, we could do something. We could. We could do a few things. I have a friend in Atlanta who rebuilds uh, game arcade cabinets for a living. That's what he does. So I think it would be awesome if we could do like a, a live thing. Maybe go down. Maybe see how he puts some of this shit together. Play some of the fucking games. Do the D and D thing there, and just you know dive into whatever classic games he can emulate on his in his uh, in his cabinets. I, I, I'm actually I'm throwing this out here. I've not talked to him yet, <laughs> but I think it would be cool. <laughs> So, I so if probably your buddy talk to listens first. to
0: this podcast, hey, buddy, we're coming on down.
2: <laughs> we'll just be knocking on the door. We're going to be here for 24 hours. But I think we'll
0: probably split it in a few different ways. I don't know. We're Like I said, we're still fleshing this all out. We've got until November to decide how we want to do it. One of the things that I'm really heavily leaning on, though, is some sort of a live stream of a and d game. That would uh, be cool. With, and- with some of the people that have you know been really active in the community and things like that. Uh, but we'll flesh that out as we go, and details get a little clearer. Uh, but back to <laughs> back to the book. The limerick is the point that we're stuck on right now.
1: What what um what I think is is really interesting about this part. This all plays into the fact that this realization that Parzival has that you know he wanted a school kid to find it. It, it tells you a lot about Halliday, who um, he really. As much as I know, in, in past episodes, we talked about just how good the Oasis really was for society. He really did try to turn it into something positive for the world, uh, in creating opportunities for people to to be educated and all of that. But apparently, to give some cool school kid an opportunity to uh, win billions of dollars, uh, but that that's that's a really cool uh, insight, I think, into Halliday's mindset. Is that he, uh, uh, you know, deep down for for a guy who was, you know, had a few screws loose and was very socially awkward. He uh he did kind of have his heart in the right place. You mean as far as... as... Education really was an important thing for him.
2: Well, I-, I wonder if it was necessarily education or that he felt that anyone should have the ability to access this. I think it's kind of cool. It reminds me of very much of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this before. But there was a, a quote in the movie... Where Grandpa Joe's like, you know, so you're going to give Charlie the factory. And he's like, I can't go on forever. And I don't really want to try. So who can I trust to run the factory when I leave? This is not a grown up. A grown up would want to do everything his own way. Not mine.
0: You just read a quote, didn't you?
2: <laughs> I, I did not just pull it out of memory. It is on my screen. Okay. Yes. I just, just really want
0: to make impressive. sure because otherwise you've seen that movie way too many fucking times, Chris. <laughs> Now, sing an oompa Loompa number. <laughs> no. Uh,
2: <laughs> without saying it, that's what he's doing with with uh, with the with the contest.
0: Next moment, we've got Wade basically making this connection and falling out of his chair in the middle of class, or not in the middle necessarily. of his van. Yeah, in the middle of a van parked at the bottom of the stacks falling out of a chair I,
2: I hope that the movie portrayal of this is his his wiggling in the schoolroom, and then him falling <laughs> in the van like the outside of the van you see the van shake and noise happening yeah. on the inside the, in visualization the middle of the neighborhood of this
0: in the movie i think is going to be like the best opportunity for comic relief yeah in this part of the movie it's going to be great <laughs> let's hope
2: although i do find it a little let's odd hope. that <laughs>
0: Matt, you see <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm always skeptical of movies.
1: And like when I've learned that there was going to be a movie, I was like, this is totally awesome and yet totally terrifying at the same time because this movie could easily ruin your next reading of the book.
2: Yeah. Oh, God. I hope not. But it could. It
0: really could. And it, it, <laughs> here's the thing it probably, like, I, I want to go ahead and dispel this right now. It probably will. Oh, yeah.
1: There's just no doubt about it because, like, you know, we've all read it more than once. We have images in our head of how things are going to be. We probably have people in mind who we see portraying each character. And the movie is just going to blow that to pieces.
0: Yeah. Parzival is going to have a fucking face. (laughs) H is going to have a fucking face. Halliday is going to have a face. Like, your imagination will depart from the book when the movie is made. And, like... For Artemis.
1: Like Artemis. That's gonna be a big one. she she's gonna yeah. have a very interesting face in Rubenes. Yes.
2: All curves. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs>
0: You're just focused on that one.
2: <laughs> it just struck me as it just, just
1: You know what I think it just struck you me know what in the I book. honestly think about giggle. that is that he was modeling her after someone oh. close to him.
2: I think he was saying that she was a realistic figure in the game in contrast to Mm-mm. the porn characters. It, it, it
0: His wife is Artemis. Like seriously, look her up on Twitter right now. Or go to his Wikipedia page and you can click on her name. And it will it it'll scatter your view of what you like what you pictured Artemis to look like.
1: Absolutely. Barring a couple of things. But it just it, it right. just felt like he focused way too much on that that it was like he was clearly showing, or at least subliminally saying, this is based on someone I know.
0: Yeah.
2: Sure. okay. Yeah, well, I mean, like... I can't disagree with that. I mean, I'm looking at the pictures, and yeah, yeah.
0: Every time you read something, like if you read something in a comment thread, if you read something in a book, you always picture the person to be sort of I, and, and they bring this up in the book too. Like you, you picture them to be without deformity or without flaw. Like your mind just automatically you you, you pictured your idealized
1: version of that character exactly. based on what you've heard. Yes,
0: sure. Right. Yep. But she does fit every single criteria that he lays out for what Artemis is. She does. Yeah. And you know, I can see that that's the realistic version, and I think that's the point that he's trying to bring out in the book is that. Artemis is, is a very realistic girl. That's why he's attracted to her, because she's, she's human. She's normal.
2: Well, and I also have to imagine that, that as a writer, when you create characters, you're pulling from what you know. And you're piecing together characters, maybe based on people that are in your life, or maybe characters that you are inspired by in other works. But you don't want to copy other works, so I could totally see somebody saying, hey, you know, that character, I modeled that after you. I get that. You you base it built on, on what you know, and then you kind of piece together those characters. So, and then as a reading, as reading it, when they describe it, you're right. Like, I attribute sort of characteristics based on the description that the author throws in there so that I can get familiar with it.
0: Right. And then you fill in the blanks with whatever's convenient or attractive or whatever. Yeah. A lot of this chapter is, is weighed, like, you've heard us. We're, we're kind of retreading the path here well that's about half of this chapter Wade is Wade is retreading his own path up to this point as far as what ludus is to learn the limerick all of that and then he has a moment and it's a moment that i absolutely love in this book i love it because it's a standalone one sentence paragraph and to be honest if you were to go back and you were to look at the entire book It's very rare that Ernest Klein pulls out this trick. It's a one sentence, seven word sentence. He wanted a school kid to find it. Very pointedly. It's a standalone, it's a seven word paragraph. He wanted a school kid to find it. And it calls back to what we were just talking about. Okay. Whether you want to tie it to Willy Wonka, it's clear from the beginning. I don't know that it's a school kid. I, I think that Halliday, probably for most of his life, felt like he was a school kid. Well, I think it really is that he
1: Halliday wanted someone like him. Right. And, cause, cause, and we know from further in the book, more details about him, which if you think about it, is very similar. I mean, Wade, Wade is more in poverty, but he, he, he is not of a lot of means and... He, he doesn't have advantages that a lot of other people have, and maybe a lot of people in the world that he's he's in don't either, but Halliday understands that, and he knows that other people really want to get a hold on all this money, and so he wants to level the playing field by not making it so that you have to have this fancy-ass rig and uh, all the latest stuff and tons of money to be able to accomplish the, the hunt.
2: Well, I wonder... And I'm going to go off what you said there, which is which is the, the angling of using the school. I wonder if what he's looking for is to drag somebody through his experiences to come to the place that he ends up after the fact. That you can't be him starting out, but you will be a lot more like him in the end. And when you think about like the earlier stories that they tell about him, he he first sort of grew into this gaming by going to high school... And being introduced to friends that introduced him to D and D, and here we have that exact same scenario. You're going to school, and you're going to be introduced to D and D. I mean, it's not the exact same way, but maybe in his mind, this is kind of the way of dragging a person through his experiences to build and create the next holiday.
1: He's taking him on the same journey the holiday went through, is basically yes, but
2: in a very virtual sort of way. Yes. Yeah, possibly. Like, his introduction into it obviously isn't through a friend that comes up and befriends him. Right. Uh, although he does have that in H, it's not quite in the same way. You know what? Let's just touch on this next chapter, because I feel like this is going to mimic Halliday's personal story as we get into the next chapter. Okay. All right, so in order to figure out, now that he's kind of nailed down potentially what planet it's on, he says, I frantically searched my favorite wear site until I found a high-end image recognition plugin for the Oasis Atlas.
0: I only had one question on the back end of that. Okay. Which was how long does it take for you like if you were to do that you, you were talking about that facial recognition thing that people you know went out and did on Google Earth. Mm-hmm. How long does it take to process the entire Earth?
2: Well for the guy that did it it looks like he just went through a lot of pictures on Google Earth or maybe scanned through a ton of pictures. So it wasn't a program it was just no, it was Manual. software. No, 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 it was okay. software, but you can tell the software to go to a Latin lawn for a given size. And then you could probably take a snapshot of that, throw it into Google and say, do you see a face? And what d- happens is, is Google will take that picture. It'll come back and say, yes, I see a face. Or okay, no, so, I don't.
0: So tack on another 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Scan in the picture of fucking, <laughs> of the Tomb of Horrors. And then run that over the entire oasis. How long does that take?
2: If I used what I was talking about, I could probably do it in a couple days using Google. He said it took what, like an hour or two. Yeah, no, ten minutes of I'm searching on
1: one planet. But but now I'm pretty sure Ludus, he said, was a third of the size of our moon. So we're talking we're talking it's it's smaller than the Earth. So it's it's going to take a lot yeah, less time, right. and a lot of it is just forest. So I mean, really, you can narrow down. A lot of it, so like I could see it not taking a huge amount of time. I mean, but but when you think about how that technology would advance by the time that this book takes place, and the processing power of the Oasis, uh, right. because I mean, I don't think the all the algorithms and processes and whatnot are happening on his console. They're happening in the Oasis uh, and right. all the shared server arrays and all that stuff. So like I could see it not taking forever. I could see it not taking
0: hours.
2: I was a little surprised that it said it took 10 minutes, but he is looking for a very small you feature. You surprised like, that it
0: took 10 minutes because that seems short or long.
2: Like I would expect that the technology of the Oasis, given what we were talking about, it's kind of this cloud system, lots of processors, thousands of times better processing speed in 30 years. Sure. That it would have just been like, pop, we found something. Which is, which is why there's you know? no excuse
1: why it wasn't found before. <laughs>
2: Right. <laughs> like somebody should have thought of that shit, right? That's my point. Run Yeah, I know. Run the Tomb of Hordes. Just
0: run the fucking like facial recognition. Looks like a smash down pumpkin or a smiley face or whatever. I mean seriously. Put that you, out there. you write run one program. Every fucking planet. You
1: write one program that searches like every planet that, that meets a certain criteria of probability that it might be the place. You start it and it runs for five years, you think by the time it has got by five years they wouldn't have it wouldn't have searched Lutus and wouldn't have found it.
2: That's that's not bad logic because you're talking about green rocks, trees. Hell, half the planets they mentioned don't have any of that shit that's on That's
0: like but but Chris, my point is you're saying two plus two equals four. That's not bad logic. No, that's fucking fact, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, Yeah. By fact this would yeah. have been found out. In minutes.
2: I suppose. Sure. Yeah, in minutes. Yeah. Minutes after. Minutes Potentially after less somebody than 10.
0: found out the limerick. Minutes after they would have found this. Realistically.
2: How does a company full of what they would consider to be the brightest oologists not have even randomly done this? Like, fuck it. Let's just post, let's put, let's search everything. That it has anything to do with this thing here.
1: And and you could also make the point that if you're working for IOI in the OLG division, you you don't really have the same stake in it because you've already given up your rights to the prize. So for you, working for IOI, it's a job. It's 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 not having to live on the street. So like you don't have that investment in actually winning the the contest. And so, you know, Wade if for him, it's a, it's a way out of his life, you know. For a lot of these people that are that are doing it, it's it's for something better. So that's a that, that's a... a huge thing when when you're when you're going after this prize that that changes I, yeah. how you approach it.
2: That's that's not a bad argument because, uh, you know, to have the passion to really dig deep into the problem solving is different than somebody who's told, okay, you need to specialize in these five movies. There's no creative process there. You're just hunting in movies a drone. or playing video games. You're a drone. And the hope there is that you have a collective intelligence that can get together at stand-up or at of their monthly meeting and share their ideas based on what they're a specialist in. But no one probably is a specialist in all things like Wade set himself out to be. And even though he is, that didn't help him before this point.
1: I mean, they probably had a specialist uh, that had to watch Howard the
2: Duck thousands of times. Poor fucker. <laughs> oh my God. It
0: wasn't that bad.
2: Oh my God. Okay. let me, A okay. moment of honesty
1: here. When I was a kid, I watched the movie. It was more good. Than once, more than once.
0: Here's my thing. Okay. And you're going to vehemently disagree with me on this. Did you ever right. see the movie Short Circuit?
2: Oh, I love that movie.
0: Okay.
1: I, I've seen Short Circuit, but I actually liked the sequel more.
2: Okay. Oh, <gasps>
0: Okay, but, uh, but if you were to ask me, I think every Short Circuit movie was good. I love them all. There's only two, uh, right? Short, the first Circuit one... was a, Short Circuit was no worse a movie than Howard the Duck.
2: Okay. Fair point. I'm, I can see that. I Short Circuit inspired me into electronics. Like, the day after, I went out and bought wires and LEDs and shit and took apart my G.I. Joe tank.
0: But still, like, like Short Circuit in, in, in Howard the Duck you can draw a lot of lines between the two of them. They're both kind of equally absurd for the time. Yeah, but Short Circuit That's didn't true. Have duck boobs. That was a, that was my one problem. The duck boobs. That was that was the line. <laughs> that was the line that was crossed.
2: <laughs> and, and they both had a female element that had a weird relationship, uh, potentially romantic relationship. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but mm-hmm. with robotics is a little more... Uh-huh. More
2: acceptable, more maybe? More acceptable
1: in this day and age.
2: <laughs> hey, man.
0: I feel like I heard go fuck a duck before I heard go fuck a robot. Just saying.
2: <laughs> he had that, like, set of tools that unfolded from the middle and then would just kind of... Screwdriver, you know. it. You push forward, Chris. <laughs> so... It... I like the idea here that that the idea of moving from one school to another has this sort of teleport system where you go and you have to get the ticket and then you go to the teleport system and pop it in. You know what though? And I know we have I, I got to interrupt because I thought that seems
1: really strange way to to facilitate people going to to school sporting events.
2: Like cross school sporting events. Like
1: okay so so, so you're you're getting a voucher which means that someone is paying for your transport. Why isn't transport to and from school games just automatically free? Because what is the economic basis for... Who, who, Like, who, who's paying for students just to go to a game in a virtual reality simulation where if you're not there, they, as he says in the book, they fill you in with NPCs anyway.
2: Right. Well, I mean, the main way to charge in the Oasis is for transportation, be it long distance or short. So this is how they make money. So if the school's basically saying, look, you could transport anywhere and that's on your own darn dime. Uh, We're going to pay to allow you to go to the school that we're competing against and we'll pay for that. So they're not escaping the rule here, which is that people pay for transportation and it doesn't even matter if it's on the same planet.
0: Was that your question though?
2: No, that wasn't a question per se. Uh, No, of rolling into. Oh, okay. I,
1: I mean, to me, it's just like, it, it, the implication here is that the Oasis is making money off of these vouchers, but what does the school gain by paying to have students at these at these sporting events as spectators?
0: Right.
2: I get you because they're going to have spectators anyhow. Yeah. Um, I I gotta imagine that school spirit is going to look different than NPCs. That the more peeps you get going from your school to theirs to go in, and cheer for your friends. Yeah, and to NPCs there. will probably be more engaged. <laughs> but, but yeah, <laughs>
1: but you know what the other fatal flaw in this whole system is?
2: Huh. Is
1: that he's not required to be at the game.
2: That's true. Yeah. Like, they're paying for it. You'd think they'd have a way to kind of force him to go to it. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: I hadn't really no, thought I, about that.
0: I but think, th- no, I, I, yeah, no, That that's a good point, though. That he could just get there and go where like, the fuck like, he wants like, to go. Couldn't,
1: couldn't you have just seen this playing out where like Wade's like, I got this great plan. I'm going to go uh, champ teleport over there. And all of a sudden, there's this force field. You
0: have to attend the game. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's a really good point.
2: <laughs> but that doesn't uh, happen. I know. But, 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 where, but where else would you go? That's the gist is why would they have to do that? And that's a because fair point, where else- too.
1: Because, honestly... Where, where else are you going to go? Because, honestly, if it was a game of Quidditch, I'd want to fucking watch that. Yeah. Like, isn't that the coolest thing I, about the 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 amount of... Po- the, the, the potential sports that you can play in the Oasis you can't play in the real world? Like, he goes through this list of, like, you know, Zero Gravity, Capture the Flag, and, you know, Quidditch. Like, that's just fucking awesome. I'd it, watch that. And, yep. I mean, for her personally, yep. I'd love to freaking play it but i tell you i was at uh universal studios a couple weeks ago and i did the whole wizard world of harry potter and they had this ride called the forbidden journey and like it's like this simulated thing where at one point you are going through the whole quidditch pitch i would puke trying to play quidditch (laughs) like seriously i barely survived that that simulated ride now, as cool as playing Quidditch would be in the Oasis and I would kill to do it, it just I wouldn't have it in me.
2: I would rather watch it. Yeah. I'd rather watch it in the stadiums. Like That's one of those things that I wouldn't want to watch through like a, a, a television. I'd want to be there. But I, I guess the question I had was like, if you know that there's nothing else, if you believe that there's nothing else on the planet. Let's face it, you walk off the school property, your name changes and you can go wherever, but there's nothing else to see. It's just forests. I guess uh, the idea is you don't have to restrict kids because if they go to another school for a game, there's nothing right. else as far other as I the know.
1: There's nothing else there to see. So yeah. It, yeah, and you know, as he said, you know, there's there's nothing there to kill to get experience points or anything like that. So like like yeah, I mean, obviously there's the, the, there is, there is that there's this idea that there's no other reason for you to be here except to go to this game. Uh,
0: so I have to think in context of the story. So did did Halliday build it this way? Knowing that the person who might find it might not have the money to get to that place and this might be their avenue in. Ooh. Because there's a really interesting thing that Wade says at some point in this chapter. Well, that's a very interesting But place. where he's talking about, I could ask H for the money, but I don't. Because if I couldn't find a way on my own, then it's not. then I don't deserve to find it. So, what he's saying there is Halliday made a way, even if I don't have the money, Halliday made a way for me to get there, and I've got to find what it is. I don't need anybody else and I thought that was a really interesting point, Because like, cause like we we could go back and we could recon an excuse for him to do it this way, or like you know, hey, there you know couldn't the school block this out, or couldn't you know a number of under, uh, other things. Factor in that that wouldn't make this scenario make sense, but he sort of erases it with that one line. I think, like that was my feeling when reading it. Do you think though that that was
1: a deliberate construct uh, on Ernest Klein's part, or was that just a Bob Ross happy accident kind of thing as he was writing the story? I mean, everything I works out perfectly the way you the way you've structured it. i um, almost too perfectly. I mean, but do you, do you
0: think he he actually? thought that out in that sense uh here's my thing it would be it would be very hard to go back and retcon an excuse for him to leave the property during the sporting event if they really wanted him there it would be very easy to insert a line to say you know what Halliday created a way." you know what i mean yeah it's 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 and again, we're, we're tying a correlation between the book and, and, and Halliday being a God-type figure in the Oasis and how Faith is the ultimate gap-filler. Chris, you and I had a discussion about this the other day. Mm. Faith being the ultimate gap-filler. He throws Faith into Halliday. You've created a way. I'm going to find it.
2: I, I think that's like true as a baseline because he did create a way. He's just got to figure out. But we don't know if that way is on another planet and Halliday's like, you know what? You're going to have to figure out a way to make money and get there. Or if there was just a baseline loophole and Halliday's idea was if you want to get to it, it's on the planet. Regardless, nothing of, keeps regardless, you in the school. But,
0: but you're thinking logistics. Regardless I'm, of the logistics, he put Faith in Halliday to, enough to go out there. When he can't miss any more days of school, he knows he has to be back at a certain time that's another thing that gets addressed and I think it's in the next chapter. So I won't go too far into it, but it's like fucking four o'clock in the morning. That's another thing too. Not only can you leave the property, can come back whenever the fuck he wants. Uh,
2: yeah, but I think it makes sense that in the Oasis in general, you're not limited in where you can go except by that you can get there. Right. And to have a limiter would be a mechanic that would, seem unusual unless you applied it everywhere so h h calls him to 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 get a hold of him to do something and and he doesn't pick up on the phone call and i think that this is kind of interesting because this is the first time i believe that he kind of blows him off in his quest for the egg
0: yeah it's it's a real it's a good picture of their relationship uh, you know, not only is, is, is Wade feeling like a little bit of remorse for the fact that he's not answering the phone call, he's also squaring up with the fact that H would completely understand why. Right.
1: He's it's not personal. It's business.
0: Exactly.
2: <laughs> you know, if you've ever got to say that, it's probably personal to someone. <laughs> but someone else is trying to say, please don't. It's probably personal to you. More to you than the other person
0: if you have to say that exactly it's personal right.
1: to the person that gets shafted but I mean exactly
0: <laughs> well I feel like it's not personal it's business this is a justification for actions. like oh, I feel like a dick but it's not personal it's business <laughs> it's, it's business <laughs> like I'm being the dick I'm gonna offer that is it
2: it's not you it's yeah, business but, a, but I, is, I
0: feel like in this case
1: self. but in this case it is pretty legit because I mean you know we know that they're close. And yeah. we know that they have chosen not to work together. They have actually discussed it and chosen not to work together. So they know, and have gone through this whole thing where they they have reserved conversations about when it comes to the egg. But they, I mean, they still casually work together in the sense that you know they played the video games together and all that stuff. But I mean, but when it comes down to it, I mean, they're they're solos. They they are avowed solos. So yeah, I mean, you know. It's all business and, for powers of all.
2: And they respect each other for that. And you and I would assume that outside of the book that there are moments where either one of them is knee-deep into figuring something out about the egg that, that they have to slight the other. It's just that in the book it seems like it got real. It went from five mm-hmm. years' worth of learning to that shit just got real and this is that first instance it's, where there's that sort of break in the relationship. It is the turning
1: point in their relationship because yes, it is now real there. The, 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 the quest now has a, has now real, really started. And it matters now because everything you do from this point on, you know, it's going to, you're, you're really going to give something away and not just in that sense where, you know, Oh, well, someday somebody is going to find it. I mean, he knows he's on, he's on the right path now. So, Everything changes from this point and it's going to change their relationship. And this is like that first moment where it's like, now I'm going to have to really start hiding things because, uh, you know, I can see the goalposts.
2: Yeah. He even comes back and says, "Uh, I had a ton of homework. I can't hang tonight. He's lying. That's it's it's a white lie. But, you know, that moment where you've got to hide something and lie. I don't know. It's it's interesting because I think it sort of foreshadows things that we can't get into now. But it's a, kind of that that beginning, in my mind, that that edge where now that it's gotten real, that whole thing where they're individuals in the game, really have to take place. Really have to set in. Right. What do you think, Ryan? No, I
0: mean it, that's that's exactly where I'm at with it. I mean, I, I think this is this is a division in the story uh this is this is your first major turning point where you know wade has always talked about being you know on his own and all that kind of thing i think that part of this cha- uh, this chapter is a layup to the idea that wade actually is alone um he's figuring this out you know on his own i think that it's the first time that you square up with the idea that wade has has always dreamed about this but what do you do when you fucking catch your dream? You know what I mean? Like, how does it logistically work out? How do you make it work? And he's proving that he can, you know? And that's that's, that's exceptional. I think yeah. a lot of people in that situation would have called for Age's help. I think a lot of people in that situation would have tried to find another way, you know? Or a way to monetize on that or something. But Wade sticks to his guns, he finds a way to make it work on his own. And he has
1: no reason to believe at this point that he's capable of even accomplishing actually getting the key in the first place because he's right. he's a third level,
0: you know, nobody. nobody.
2: Right. <laughs> poor in real life, poor in the Oasis. <laughs> it
0: had to be that way. It really did. For the, for oh, yeah. the story to work in, on, on the level that it did, it had to work that way.
2: You couldn't have that argument where it was like, oh, he bought his way into the contest. You right. hear that all the times with games where you can actually pay money to get bigger ships and that kind of thing, you couldn't have that argument in this. He had to be low. Onward. Onward. So, the message that that H leaves is Yo, Z, what are you up to? Jerking off to Lady Hawk. Well, that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> Asking him, <laughs> are you jerking off to Lady Hawk? Which I. You I made it sound it, like a statement. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> Yo, Z, what are you up to? Jerking off to Lady Hawk? That is how I imagined it. Yeah. <laughs> to which I went back and watched the trailer and deduced after about 20 minutes that there's no way that you can jerk off to Lady Hawk. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I went and watched the trailer and I found forward You're like, believe me, I tried. Online, uh, I, I evaluated the movie over about an hour's worth of time. A lot of hands um, on research. And, well, it was, you no. Know, <laughs> It's like any porn. You try to fast forward to the good part, and after about twenty minutes of fast forwarding through an hour, you realize there isn't a good part. The girls never
1: came. The girls never came.
0: (laughs) That's Chris's mantra when he beats up. I'm sorry, that was horrible.
2: (laughs) Look, everybody has their base level. Everyone has their base level of requirements, all right. Everybody has to have that, but I, I can't. This it's such a low level of requirements. Uh, we're just gonna move on from that. You're just gonna keep feeding that
0: one. I mean, I, I can keep going. I'm trying not to. You're feeding the bear. The bear wants Look, to eat. Just
2: can't keep going. It, it was a scientific test. You have to evaluate these things critically. But was it peer reviewed? We're just gonna move on. <laughs> uh, on all we right, go. <laughs> on we go. So it, he goes through the list of all the stuff that he's going to have to deal with, assuming that the map is laid out the same way. And he, something that you'd mentioned, which is that you could just simply die and respawn. And here he says that's kind of what he's got going for him, is that as a third-level nobody, he's got nothing to lose. He doesn't really need money to get here. And I think that's kind of a cool concept.
1: And it works to his advantage.
2: Yeah, that you have so little built up that you could fail, and that's actually okay.
1: I mean, it takes some of the pressure off, really. Some of it, just a little tiny bit, but...
2: Have you guys run into situations where you've had so little to lose that you took a big risk? We started a podcast
0: this one time. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: nothing to lose there. <laughs>
2: Ryan's like, I don't have a reputation yet. It's all good.
0: Yeah, I've got nothing. You but can now you do the shit out of my reputation. <laughs> no, uh, no. I mean, of course, I, I, I think everybody has that 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 kind of make or break moment. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what you're getting at is is sort of a make or break type situation.
2: Kind of a, a high risk where having little actually does does you more. Be lower. Helps risk, you right? out more. Well,
0: where it's like you know, I mean, I I can go I can go full bore here. Go for where it. Where I can say whatever I want or I can do whatever I want and I don't really have to worry about a fallout from it.
2: Well, I say high risk in the sense that I'll give an example. Like if uh, if somebody said, "Hey, let's go skydiving." If you've got a family and you've got kids, the idea of jumping out I'm of with a plane you, is is like you're like I have so much to lose. I can't accept this high risk.
0: Yeah, but I can't fucking fly. So why would I jump out of an airplane?
2: <laughs> I mean, That's i my mean thought. sky I'm in skydiving. No, not, I not I like know without you the meant, pack.
0: But I'm just <laughs> saying if I can't naturally fly, why the fuck would I do that?
2: Okay, well even Seems like absurd. for example, like a if you if you bought a motorbike Motorcycle. A motorbike. A motorbike. Okay, grandpa. Go ahead. You should scoot around on your motorbike. <laughs> hold on a minute while I I got a vest on a minute while I crank. Bring up a So so if I were if I were to buy a
0: ticket to one of them sliding picture shows.
2: <laughs> Alright,
1: so the gist is that
0: you wanna go see a motion picture? Yeah. <laughs> I heard Slappy Danvers is in this one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sons of bitches. Is was this an old joke? Was that an old joke?
0: Uh the Slappy Danvers thing was taken from somewhere else. But but those sliding picture show thing was all mine.
2: But as far as like risk is concerned, like the more you have to lose, the less of a high risk situation you're going to go into.
0: That's simple economics, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Unless you're just you have no idea about risk. I mean
0: I mean the gain here, I mean if he does make it is pretty fucking huge compared to what he has right now, which is absolutely
2: nothing. But if you were like a level 56 gunter and you had a ton of equipment and a ton of money, would you risk going in if you knew you couldn't beat the thing at the end?
0: I'm glad you brought this up because this was my big takeaway from this point in the chapter. If you were a level 56 gunter, right... Where all you did was focus on campaigns within the Oasis. How fucking good would you be at joust? <laughs> probably not very good at all. <laughs> like it doesn't matter how good you are at you know in the Oasis, as we find out later in the book. Probably the things that that kept him from being a higher level. You call it money, you call it effort, you call it whatever you want. You know they're the things that actually make him successful later in the book. You know, it's just like I can't buy, you know, like if I can't buy the Xbox one, if all I have is emulators to go off of, that would actually work in your favor here.
1: I think in the end here, the prize is worth the risk. I mean, you're talking about a fortune that is so huge that even if you're 56th level, 99th level, whatever. I mean, your eyes on the prize. You prepared for this moment in some Some respect, you feel that you have accomplished enough, not knowing what's ahead, but having a slight idea that some sort of challenge is awaiting you, that you have prepared yourself enough that it's worth the risk because billions of dollars is waiting for you.
2: Well, I like the fact that because he doesn't have a lot to lose, the idea of dying and coming back and dying and coming back is not daunting. Whereas if I was level 56 and I had reputation and rare equipment and stuff I could lose, but stuff I might think I'd need, you know, the risk of losing, I might, you know, I might look at that and go, I, I just, the unknown is a really, really huge risk. I think that's how I would approach it though.
1: But then again, it's, it's like a lottery where if you don't have a lot of money, is it worth the risk of spending $5 a week to try and get that jackpot? you know that's that's kind of the flip side of the situation you know uh, i guess i guess in this respect if you are a 56 level or whatever you have to weigh the costs that you might incur before to actually get the prize and then decide then are you going to lose everything trying to get to the prize and yeah is is that worth it are you happy with what you got or not but then again if you're happy with what you got you're not a gunter
2: yeah sure yeah i could see that to move on he gets to he first off he runs and he gets to to the location starts digging along and breaks out the map and of course straps his piddly little shield to his back breaks out his flashlight, and just looks around once more before entering. And that is where the chapter ends, is at the door of the Tomb of Horrors, or I guess at this point the cave entrance to the Tomb of Horrors. Which when I got to this point in the chapter for me was like, that's cool, it's another cliffhanger. Before moving into the next chapter where, you know, shit gets even realer. I really wish they could have melded these two chapters together. They really, but I, they I really should. I get why have. he chopped it.
1: I was thinking that when I was reviewing this chapter for for this podcast, I'm like, wow, it's like this is really just the precursor to the to him inside the tomb.
2: I remember a couple moments when because I I'd, I'd listen to my podcast on the way to work and on the way home, where I would just sit in the car before I went into work for about fifteen or twenty minutes, just just to kind of play out the next chapter.
0: Oh, I've, t- I've, I've told people this story so many times. I mean, my wife and I, as far as tastes go, could not be more different. I mean, she is not a science fiction fan. But I told her about this book and I gave her the Pepsi challenge. I was like, read this book. You will fucking love it. I, you know, I, 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 I find it hard to believe that anybody would read it and not be entertained. And she had PTO to burn. She started it on a Sunday. The next day... She left work a little bit early just so that she could finish the book.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. She read it in 2
0: days. <laughs> that is just awesome. Just digested it and fucking loves it. To this day loves that book. Will recommend it to anybody and hates science fiction. Because it's such a good book. I mean like the
2: story is, is it's it's good. I mean that's that's my <laughs> it's good. It almost feels funny to call it science fiction. It does. I know I, I know it is but it just it it feels funny to call it that and, so and some people call it
1: post-apocalyptic which even that to me feels wrong because of the the nature of the world that he lives in but I don't know to me
0: I'd call it pre-apocalyptic
1: <laughs> but I mean to me the, the the it's not just the story or the storytelling and all that and the characters it's you when you it's the oasis and it it bring something out in you that makes you wonder the potential if that really existed the oasis in real life it's not that far away
2: Yeah, I'd even argue that it's closer because of the book and the movie that that when the movie comes out if it is good that will break open the precipice of demand and the demand has already been bubbling and churning in different locations but now with the movie uh, uh, coming together with another particular VR company to kind of bring this stuff together uh this this I feel like this has the potential to be the vehicle to move greater in that direction or to create the demand because some people don't know what they will want until they have it in their hands or until they can see it demonstrated in front of them they don't have the future vision of understanding how shit comes I didn't when I first saw Apple's iPhone and they were like we've got a phone and a music playing thing and a thing to see in text and we're going to merge it all together. And I was like, I am not impressed. <laughs>
0: I was less impressed when the
2: iPad came
0: out and I was like, Oh, so it's a bigger version of what you
2: already made. <laughs> People like making fun. Like, can I hold it to my head? Yeah. Like When I bought one, somebody's like, can you make phone calls on it? I was like, well, no, but we have, we have
0: one iPad in the house and we always fucking will. I'll tell you that right now.
2: <laughs> I, but I think that this'll be that thing that potentially demonstrates Potential and could break open the technology with demand. Right. I mean, because
1: like like going back to the iPhone and the iPad, I mean that created a whole new economy. Right. And in theory, this book and the movie could could be that the, the, the 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 genesis of another new economy where people will now have an expectation as to what they really want out of virtual reality, and and all that.
2: We've got that crossroad of VR and cryptocurrency and uh, people wanting to get deeper into their technology people already kind of digging themselves in like a tick to their cell phones
0: yeah before we do an outro here um, I would like to kind of tie back into something that Matt was saying and this will be brief Uh, in the first, very first episode of this book Or this show, sorry, the very first episode of this show, we had talked about a game called Mist. Now you guys have played Mist, right?
2: No, briefly, yes.
0: Okay, so Mist is Mist is a puzzle game. It was a first person puzzle game from the uh, the '90s or late '80s, and I played. That was the first game that I played, like you know, beginning to end. That was super complicated, like in a way that, you know, I mean, it's 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 not just timing and dexterity. It's 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 mind complicated because you have to think your way through every level at the beginning of the game. They give you a choice between red or blue uh, the way it's spelled out in pages. It's basically one brother or another. If you follow one one side, the red side, you'll go through the entire game. And you'll find out at the end that it's a dead end. And you lose. So you'll follow the other brother on the second playthrough. You'll get all the way through. And you'll find out it's a dead end. And if that wasn't frustration enough, when you finally kind of figure out that there was a middle ground, which is the father of the two brothers, not only is that the way to go, but you only had to find one page. And it's right at the beginning of the game.
2: But you could solve it like in what, 90 seconds? Yes. Was it something like mist that? Can, mist can
0: be beaten in under five minutes. Now, if you follow any other trajectory, it will take you hours upon hours to get through the puzzles in this game. And you'll enjoy the shit out of the game. It's so much fun. But the game is right in front of you. 'Cause it's 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 one of those it's one of those games it's like early first person where like every time you move it just goes up a block and you've got a picture and then you can explore the things in front of you. But missed you go up like two blocks and there it is. Right there in this like little podium box thing. I bet
1: a lot of games copy that. There's your answer.
0: Right in front of you. And guess what? what? It's Ludus, man. It's it's fucking ready player one right there. You know what I mean?
2: But, and yet it took years for people to figure out. It took a while, can, yeah, it took a while for solve people it. to
0: figure out. I remember the first time I found it. And this is now this is early days of the internet, so I'm not going to Google and trying to figure out how to solve mist.
2: It wasn't. Like you kinda of figured it out
0: word of mouth from your yeah. other friends who'd played it, or you'd figure it out on your own. That's why
1: it couldn't happen that and way today
0: right it wouldn't work it wouldn't work in the same way but but at the same time like you know that again I mean you, here you have like depends on how closely guarded your secret is in this situation the, the answer was right in front of you the whole time I, I find it interesting and I, I draw a direct line between ready player one the first time I read it and the first time I played mist for two reasons one the lewdest connection to how easy it was to solve Two, the entire fucking time. I played that game the entire time. And I relate this back to destiny. The reason I love the raids or any other game that I've really loved is that you always feel like you're on the precipice of figuring something out that nobody's ever seen. And it's that sense of adventure. It's that sense of discovery, Right. That there's something out there that you'll be the first one to set eyes on. You're going to find the Holy Grail. You're going to find the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to find whatever it is that everybody's been searching for. Somehow you're going to be the first one to find it. You're going to, you know, in Zelda, you're going to push this rock to the side. and Somehow you're going to be the first person to go into this passageway. And it's fascinating when you're a child. And guess what? As a 34-year-old man, it's still Fascinating. And I still love that feeling. And it's the reason I play games. It's the reason I love this fucking book. It's the reason that I try to find more books like it. Because I still love adventure. And I still love that sense of the unknown. It still drives me. I love it.
2: I, I uh, I think that's why I really enjoy this book. Because it does a masterful job of of drawing you through somebody's experience in that pers- specific it isn't like me playing mist it's like me experiencing mist through your eyes and you uncovering the puzzles and me kind of along for the ride and covering it with you and because the book doesn't it didn't seem obvious to me and doesn't continue to seem obvious to me that it it's it feels like I am unfolding the hunt while the character's unfolding exactly. it. And I really dig that. It's that it's that uh uh it's it's hunt through osmosis. Adventure through osmosis. <laughs> he managed to articulate something that even in
0: my description just there, I didn't even scratch the surface of. It's a feeling. He articulated a feeling. It's that feeling of playing a game. It's that You're feeling hooked. of unboxing a new game, or unboxing a new thing, or finding something new. It's just it's hard to articulate, and it's, it's prevalent in this book. This book is a feeling. Like, I mean, th- like this chapter
1: ends with, and I entered the Tomb of Horrors. And it's like, oh my fucking God, what's next? <laughs> me, me too, man.
0: <laughs>
2: Every chapter is you. him going from one thing into another, and that in itself feels like like its own cliffhanger. Like, if if every chapter was a television show, I'd be pissed off at the end of every show because I'd want to see the next one.
0: (laughs) Exactly. With that, we end Chapter 7 and on into Chapter 8. And I've posted this online um, whenever we've posted Chapter 6. This really is when the the book begins in earnest as far as the hunt goes. I mean, from here on out, it's straight up hunt. Uh, We are into the meat of the book. We've had fun doing Chapter 7. Matt, thank you so much for joining us, man. This is awesome. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. And that was Get to the Good Part. We'll see you next time. So long, everyone.
1: you know cuz i mean i was lost in this story i wasn't i, I don't i don't want to be I, one of those guys that's like over analyzing stuff because then you you just you, you lose you lose the storytelling I, I like the i like good stories you're on the wrong podcast yeah yeah, yeah. so,
2: so. <laughs> <laughs>